Hey, it's Debbie here. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. But you can also hear the Dave and Dijanovic show live on KSL News Radio Monday through Friday, starting at nine, or at kslnewsradio.com. Keyword podcast. So text that keyword to five seven five zero zero, and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. And be sure to listen for a new keyword next week and every week this February for even more chances to win. Today, KSL in your community. We will take a full deep dive into all of the activities going on here, volunteers as well. Live from the ARUP Blood Drive, here are Dave Noriega and Debbie Dujanovic on KSL News Radio. We will be broadcasting live on the hills of Tim and Amanda, just wrapping up their show. We'll be here all morning long at the ARUP. Of facility here in Sandy. We're at about 9,700 South and 500 West. Uh, and we'll be giving you all kinds of information on how to give, when you can give, which is basically seven days a week. And also, Dave, enticing people to give blood because there's a special giveaway for Taylor Swift concert tickets. We'll be learning more about that throughout the morning. Yeah, we're sitting next to a live-size cutout of Taylor Swift. So, yeah, win two tickets. Very exciting. I think it's going to be in New Orleans is where she's uh, playing. So that would be an incredible trip. And we want to make sure you get here safely. So keep it right here at KSL News Radio all morning long. We'll be giving live weather and traffic updates throughout the show. Uh, For now, let's get to our top story. America's top political story. Special coverage with Dave and Dijanovic. The special counsel that looked into President Biden and those classified documents he had sitting in his garage at his home. His locked garage, Debbie. Locked garage. I think the biggest takeaway from that report, and it was hundreds of pages long, is the special counsel actually made it seem like President Biden is on the border or well into dementia. Let's listen to President Biden's fiery comeback after that special counsel report was released late yesterday. I know there's some attention paid to some language in the report about my recollection of events. There's even reference that I don't remember when my son died. How in the hell dare he raise that? Frankly, when I was asked the question, I thought to myself, it wasn't any of their damn business. Wow. That, that's quite the, quite the explanation, right? None of their business. It, it really doesn't matter what the business is. You know, prosecutors and investigators, they ask questions all the time. They may have a, a purpose to ask one to maybe set up another question. So he, this is something that he talks about all the time, but he was very... Very defensive, obviously. Let me point to some of the language in that report uh, that was released about Biden's memory. Um, it, it was very clear that he had been interviewed by the special counsel. It looks like some of those interviews came in October. So just recently, just a few months ago, that his memory was fuzzy, uh, that he was having a hard time recalling uh, certain dates and uh, leaders of countries that he'd recently worked with. He'd confused them for leaders that he'd worked with in the 1980s, that he couldn't remember uh, the date and the year that his son, Bo, had passed away. Now, Bo had passed away in 2015 from brain cancer, and the special counsel, Robert Herr, said in that report that 
President Biden wasn't even within years of remembering the date of when uh, Bo had passed away. Uh, President Biden immediately pushed back. There was a hastily called news conference at the White House late yesterday. Reporters were yelling questions. The news conference felt like it was wheeling out of control. And President Biden was uh, absolutely tried to be as clear as possible and defend his memory, but that actually ended up turning into a complete mud. Let's listen to more of President Biden's defense about that report. I'm well-meaning, and I'm an elderly man, and I know what the hell I'm doing. I've been president, and I put this country back on its feet. I don't need his recommendation. It's How totally bad out of- is your memory, and can you continue as president? My memory is so bad, I can let you speak. That's uh, that's that's my memory has gotten worse, Mr. President. My memory is not good. My memory is fine. My memory. Take a look at what I've done since I become president. None of you thought I could pass any of the things I got passed. How'd that happen? You know, I guess I just forgot what was going on. He's trying to make fun of it. He's trying to make a, a, a make light of what's going on. But I think what this report shows is is what a lot of Americans are fearing right now is the mental capacity of the president. And does he have another year in him to to run? And does he have another four years on top of that? When a reporter yelled at him that voters are already questioning his his mental capacity and his age, he pushed back at her, pointed his finger and said, that's your judgment to the reporter. Um, There was also a moment after that news conference wrapped up where he was walking away to leave the podium and then he started to get questions from the gaggle of reporters there about uh, what's going on in Israel and Gaza. So he slowly returns back to the podium and he starts answering questions and this is where things got really, really weird for me. Uh, He was uh, referring to um, the leader of uh, the president of Egypt as the president of Mexico. Let's listen to that moment. As you know, initially, the president of Mexico, Sisi, did not want to open up the gate to allow humanitarian material to get in. I talked to him. I convinced him to open the gate. So he was totally confusing the Gaza Strip, Israel, Egypt, with the president of Mexico. And I was watching this live and I was completely confused by what he was saying. I was like, what is he talking about the president of Mexico? And I wasn't alone. All of the people who were watching the live stream were commenting on it and they were saying the same thing. Like, what is he talking about Mexico? One even commented, you mean Mexico? So, you know, it was like one of those moments where he just opened himself up to this to just I, it just was really it was painful dave and here's the key we all make mistakes we all forget names we're all struggled to remember certain events but when it's on occasion that is excusable it is one time after another with president biden and it, this is not i i think stealing a, a phrase from from donald trump this is not a witch hunt he stands in front of reporters he answers questions he speaks off the cuff off teleprompter and when he does almost invariably there's some sort of noticeable mistake either uh he he's not articulating himself he's not enunciating he's slurring words together or he just misstates facts or remembers things 
wrongly. The fact that that press conference was called so hastily after that special counsel report was released was just proof to me that he was trying to do damage control about what was in that special report. And I think what my takeaway from it is that it made things worse. Uh, they should have taken a beat. I know that the Republican uh, camp was absolutely ganging up on uh, Biden after that report was released, but I felt like that was just the wrong call by his staff, uh, by his campaign, whoever made that decision. Maybe it was him. He should have taken a moment, waited to maybe today to address it, or perhaps not even address it at all. Which was very much his strategy when he ran in 2020. He stayed back. He let Donald Trump go out front, and he had all the headlines. Now that he's in front and he can't be quiet as president, this is some of the mistakes that they were worried about. The other big development that came after that report is a special counsel decided that President Biden will not face charges, recommended that he do not face criminal charges for having those classified documents uh, that, that were in his garage. Um, but you look at the situation with President Trump, he's facing charges for what was found in Mar-a-Lago. Uh, so we're going to have Greg Scordis, our legal analyst here at KSL, uh, jump on the phone line with us next live to explain why not Biden? Hey, it's Debbie here. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. But you can also hear the Dave and Dujanovic show live on KSL News Radio Monday through Friday starting at 9 or at kslnewsradio.com. Keyword podcast. So text that keyword to 57500 and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. And be sure to listen for a new keyword next week and every week this February for even more chances to win. It's a special edition of Dave and DeGenovic, live from the ARUP Blood Drive. This is KSL in your community. Well, Dave and I were just talking about the special counsel report that was released yesterday uh, regarding President Biden and the special counsel's investigation into those classified documents. And as part of that report, uh, the special counsel cited several instances where President Biden's memory seemed to be failing. Uh, But there's another layer to this report that we absolutely have to address. Uh, It it seems uh, as though, through the special counsel's recommendation, President Biden will not face any criminal charges in relationship to those classified documents, uh, many of them stored in his uh, home garage. Yeah, and he was uh, giving access to a lot of these documents to his ghostwriter as they were writing a, a book on you know on his life. So the, the real question I have, and this is what makes this this conversation so fascinating. Donald Trump is facing almost identical charges in in the sense that uh, they both had had committed, quote unquote, the same crime. Let me go through uh, just to give you a taste, Dave, and to our listeners, uh, what was contained in some of those boxes that were found um, near a collapsed dog crate, by the way, in the in the in in his home Uh, documents about Afghanistan found in the garage. Uh, near that dog crate, um, a, a, near a dog crate, a dog bed, and a Zappos box, an empty bucket, a broken lamp wrapped with duct tape, and potting, like anybody else's garage, and there sat those classified documents. Uh, the documents mainly uh, had to do with military and foreign policy in Afghanistan. There were also notebooks that Biden had used uh, through his presidency. 
Um, His vice presidency. Vice presidency, right. right. Um, Kind of personal reflections, notes about meetings. He was also uh, asked about sharing uh, the information with his ghostwriter. Yes. um, Who's writing a book for on as his ghostwriter. Uh, and he was asked yesterday at that hastily called news conference after this report was released by a reporter, look, President, is there anything you would have done differently? Let's listen. What I would have done is oversee the transfer of the material that was in my office, in my offices. I should have done that. If I go back, I didn't have the responsibility to that. That was my staff was supposed to do that. And they referenced that in the report. And my staff did not do it in the way that, for example, I didn't know how half the boxes got in my garage until I found out staff gathered them up, put them together, and took them to the garage in my home. And all the stuff that was in my home was in filing cabinets that were either locked or able to be locked. It was in my house. It wasn't out in, like, in Mar-a-Lago in a public place where, and none of it was high classified. Didn't have any of that red stuff on it. You know what I mean? Around the corners? None of that. And so I wish I had paid more attention to how the documents were being moved and where. I thought they were being moved to the archives. Greg Scordis joins us right now, KSL legal analyst, and uh, ultimately, really, the the punctuation point on this is that the prosecutor that investigated this decided not uh, to charge President Biden on this. And in fact, in his report, he says that the jury uh, would likely view him as a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. Uh, I. I guess I didn't realize that that was taken into consideration, Greg. (laughs) It's taken into consideration in the sense that in order to commit a crime, a person has to have what we call mens rea. They have to have the intent to commit the crime. And if he ended up having classified documents, but he did so carelessly or negligently rather than intentionally, then they wouldn't have the basis for the crime. And so I think what they're saying is that he should have overseen his staff better, that he should have had uh, better sort of controls on what's going on. And really, ultimately, it was his decision. But they felt like a jury would probably say, look, you know, he made a huge mistake. He relied on other people. He probably didn't have the intent to commit this crime. Greg, uh, when you when you listen to the president talk about, you know, the documents that I had didn't have that red stuff around them. <laughs> and that, by the way, it's uh, President Trump. Look, at they were in his home on like on a stage in Mar-a-Lago. Um, is that where the difference is uh, for uh, an attorney uh, like special counsel Robert Hur, who's looking at this and saying, you know, President Biden's situation is is far different. And then when President Trump was asked to return the documents, he didn't. And I know her didn't investigate the Trump situation, but is that is that the difference there? Yeah, the biggest difference is what you just mentioned at the end there, Debbie, that notwithstanding the fact that both of these men had documents they shouldn't have had, Biden turned them over. He cooperated. He allowed agents to go into the House and seize what they wanted. Trump did just the opposite. And in fact, there's an allegation, and I guess he's presumed innocent, of course, that he actually hid the documents and avoided what was happening with the FBI and other agents that were going in to seize that, where Biden said, hey, here's my garage, here's my car, open the door, take whatever you want. 
So there's always, as a prosecutor, some, some, you know, I don't know, forbearance or, you know, forgiveness, I guess, for people that cooperate in the investigation, participate, and are truthful in the way that they respond to whatever they did wrong. Another part of the report that stood out to me said it would be difficult to convince a jury that they should convict him, speaking of President Biden, by then a former president, well into his 80s, of a serious felony that requires a mental state of willfulness. Can you walk us through that? Yeah, I mean, and that's similar to what I was just talking about, that willfulness, I called it intent, but it's the same concept, Dave. It's, mm. the, it's the idea that really did you intend uh, – vice president at the time, Biden, to take classified documents, to remove them and to and to do so illegally. And I think what they're saying is, you know, he did so dumb. You know, he he was he wasn't thinking he wasn't, uh, you know, doing what he should have done and, and being as careful as he should have. But he really didn't have the intent to subvert the government or to take classified documents or but do Greg, anything. But he that did would have... share it with a ghostwriter. It's not like sure. he didn't know that these were there. He's trying to kind of play both sides, in my opinion, where he says, oh, my staff just put them there, and I, I guess my I guess my ghostwriter saw him. No, you're right. You're right. He's trying to distinguish himself from, from Donald Trump. He's trying to make his situation different. And the the special counsel did a little bit of that for him and said, he really didn't have the intent. You're right. Once he realizes he has the documents, once he once he recognizes that and is sharing them with the ghostwriter, he had every obligation and, and every reason to return them, knowing at that point that he probably shouldn't have had them. And perhaps he should have been much more careful with that. And if there was a crime here, that's probably where it would have occurred. But special counsel knows more about the case than we do and decided for whatever reason that they didn't think they could prevail with the prosecution. Greg Scordis, KSL Legal Analyst. As always, Greg, thanks. Okay, so what we know so far from this report is that President Biden will not face any criminal charges regarding uh, the classified documents that were found in his possession um, and that he uh, has come out swinging against the special counsel, Robert Horr, for putting information in that report about his mental state and his memory. Straight ahead, we're going to go up to Capitol Hill, keep our eye on the hill, all the way from Sandy, where we're live right now at ARUP Blood Services. There's legislation proposed on Capitol Hill that could very much uh, expand daycare options very quickly for parents who need daycare. We're going to get Senator Luz Escamilla on the line about this next. Today, KSL in your community. We will take a full deep dive into all of the activities going on here. Volunteers as well. Live from the ARUP Blood Drive, here are Dave Noriega and Debbie Dejanovic on KSL News Radio. We want to keep our eye on the hill right now as well. So we're going to go up to the hill and talk to Senator uh, Luz Escamilla about her plan to open up more daycares. And it is a out-of-the-box plan I think could bring some solutions to parents who are struggling finding a spot for their child in daycare. And with the lack of spots, we all know what that means. Uh, Prices just go up and up and up because there's a supply and demand issue, Dave. Yeah, and the supply is so difficult on so many levels because, number one, it's a difficult job. 
you know, if you're taking care of a bunch of little kids in mass, that is very difficult. But it's also very expensive because whenever you have a lot of kids or, or even just a handful of kids, you've got to have the space in the area to accommodate. And obviously, rent can be very expensive. Good morning, Senator. Good morning. Thank you so much for inviting me to the show. I'm really excited to let our listeners in on this plan that you've come up with, uh, a proposal on Capitol Hill. I think it's very, very valuable to families. Um, and it, 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 it would require state office building or, or state-owned buildings uh, to house some daycare facilities. Tell us more about this. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. And yeah, we're we're trying to be as creative as possible. We have very limited resources. As you know, our, our revenue doesn't look as good as it was before. We have a $400 million cliff, as we are not going to be receiving $400 million anymore from the federal government for child care services. So we have to do something. We already are in a crisis, even with those funds that are not going to be available. And um, I was, you know, I was made clear that there was not going to be direct subsidies available. And so I, I'm like, what do I do? What, how, can we, how can we help? And so I went back and I realized we have a lot of unused state-owned facilities. And what we're going to do with this bill is we're going to create a private-public partnership. This is a pilot. We're starting in the Wasatch Front first. <clears throat> and we are going to uh, retrofit those places. So they can meet all high-quality childcare, uh, you know, regulations and licensure pieces. That will be the investment of the state, and we will enter into an agreement with the private sector, businesses, large businesses, but also small businesses will be able to come together as a co-op and apply to be part of this private-public partnership. And their their responsibility because they will not pay any lease. We will be that will be our investment as a state. Then they will have to um, contract for uh, a high-quality child care, whether it's um, for-profit or not-for-profit. It's up to the business. And they will have to um, – They will be able, for them, they can take 60% of those available seats for children and leave the 40%, re- the rest, for community as, as kind of like a working uh, pricing that will be a reduced pricing for community, state employees, and our, our National Guard and armed forces uh, individuals. How would you describe these unused state-owned properties? Like, are we talking homes? Are we talking about uh, warehouses? What are they? Oh, no. Great question. Thank you for that clarification. These are state buildings where we used to run agencies. And after pandemic, we we actually went into a very, you know, big uh, change into a lot of our people now work from home. I mean, we do a lot of teleworking now. Um, so we have a lot of unused facilities, actually. We close some, you know, business, some of the offices. And so now we're going to be retrofitting the first floor of many of those offices. Uh, Senator uh, Luz Escamilla on the line with us, talking to us about a plan that she has to convert space in state-owned buildings into daycare facilities. Uh, we are... It, we, we're in dire straits uh, for more daycare spaces for kids. Absolutely. Um, and I will yeah. just add, we, are one, we have one of the biggest childcare deserts in the country, meaning people cannot find within a five-mile radius, which is how they classified a childcare desert, any access. So you mentioned something interesting, both of you. One, we, it's an access issue, right? So there's not enough access, and that obviously is a supply and demand question. Pricings are, the pricing then is, gets, you know, starts increasing um, a lot. But it's also one of the lowest paying jobs 
And I, I appreciate that Dave mentioned this is a tough job. And we want high-quality childcare. We're not talking only about babysitting a child. We're talking about early childhood education, comprehensive ways of helping these children that should be entering our kindergarten programs and first-grade education prepare for education. So it, it's an important piece beyond just making sure that our children are, are safe. We have a lot of kiddos. And we are a family-oriented state. We should put our money where our mouth is when it comes to that. Senator, are you at all concerned about kind of messing up the market a little bit when you when you provide some of these uh, discounted uh, facilities? Maybe you know I'm I'm trying to run a business myself, but I don't have access and I I don't get the the breaks here. Um, does this does this uh, tilt the scales a little bit? You know, the need is so big that right now it, people are desperate. It's either that or our workforce is going to start hurting. Our, our businesses are hurting. Everyone is desperate for child care. This is the number one. I, By the way, this let me explain a little bit of history. I co-chair the Women in the Economy Subcommittee, which is part of the Economic Opportunity Commission of the governor, the president, the speaker. And we are our number one priority for the last five years is child care. And when we are talking about recruiting businesses, if we cannot act, uh, address this issue, it's going to collapse our economy. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the number one reason why things go south for the state of Utah. People, and this is a, a women's issue, a men's issue, this is a family issue. What do you do when you don't have a place to leave your child? You can't work. I mean, you're not going to leave a baby in, a, in a, an apartment or in the house alone. It's just you have no other place to go. And then we start seeing more I mean, if I, the stories we're hearing is people making decisions between their some of high school kiddos dropping out of high school and going into, you know, a different program so they can take care of their siblings so parents can actually work and pay their rent. I mean, it's getting to a point where it's desperation now. So I'm not too concerned about, you know, tipping the, the market. I mean, the reality is there's such a big need that people are desperate for options to not only reduce the cost but also have high-quality child care. If it's your child, right, like you're going to leave for eight to nine hours a day because that's what, you know, a full-time job requires, you probably want to make sure that it's high-quality childcare as well. So we, we cannot, um, you know, kind of like deregulate to the point of actually potentially hurting children and their safety. Well, thank you for joining us, Senator Luz Escamilla. Let's uh, continue talking about this. Uh, thank you so much, Senator. Um, appreciate you spelling that out for us. And we also posted this question on our KSL News Radio Facebook page, and people are absolutely weighing in. We'd love some phone calls too. Should vacant state public buildings be used or converted to daycare facilities? What are your thoughts on that? Share them with us live. 801 575 talk 801 575 talk back in three minutes with your live phone calls it's a special edition of dave and degenovic live from the arup blood drive this is ksl in your community we just learned from state senator luz escamilla that there's quite a few vacant state office buildings where state employees once occupied they're now social distancing uh teleworking after the pandemic and as a result of that because we have so much uh, vacant space she's pitching a plan on utah's capitol hill to start occupying those spaces with daycare centers in light of our daycare shortage yeah she said they would create a private public partnership uh and 
PPP, uh, a, a public-private partnership, which would say, we're going to give you this, let's say, for example, the first floor in one of our government buildings that's not being used. Now, a private company would come in and they would get this area lease-free, and then they'd be able to provide these daycare services. So it makes the the financials uh, of the business much, much better, much improved, obviously, if you don't have to spend a huge chunk of, of your income or what you bring in on rent. Uh, let's listen uh, to what Senator Escamilla just told us just a few minutes ago. We have a $400 million cliff. as We are not going to be receiving $400 million anymore from the federal government for child care services. Guys, we may have so breaking we have to news. do something. We already are in a crisis, even with those funds are not going to be available. Okay. Hey, we have some breaking news that we're just getting uh, now at Broadcast House. So let's get to this right away. The governor's uh, staff has released a, um, a press release saying that Governor Spencer Cox uh, will send Utah National Guard and looks like state troopers as well to the southern border um, and let me just read a little bit more. I'm reading this cold, so bear with me. Uh, Utah Governor Spencer Cox announcing he will send law enforcement and Utah National Guard members to the Texas border after Utah's Department of Public Safety and Utah National Guard received emergency management assistance requests from Texas counterparts. Now, you'll remember that recently Texas Governor Greg Abbott held a press conference uh, talking about the the southern border crisis, what he's dealing with in his state, and 14 governors showed up to be there at that press conference with uh, Governor Greg Abbott, and Spencer Cox, Governor Cox, was one of those governors that showed up. There's a few more details here, Dave, as I'm reading on on this news release. Uh, It says on on February 26th, the United Utah National Guard will send five soldiers um, from the Engineer Battalion to maintain military equipment on the southern border. And that same day, uh, Utah will send a sergeant and four troopers from the Utah Highway Patrol's criminal interdiction team, uh, which specializes in drug investigations. Uh, They will all be deployed for 30 days. Uh, so, um, you know, we try to work to get somebody from the governor's office or the Utah Patrol to give us more details on this. So it sounds like a handful, maybe 10 or so people in total. The that estimated would go down. cost uh, to the Utah Patrol for a 30-day deployment will be about $100,000. Uh, there will be a two-week deployment with the Utah National Guard and will cost about $50,000. The funding will come from the governor's office of emergency fund. Okay, so that is a big development here that we are going to be sending um, National Guard troops, like you said, a handful of them, and also assistance from the Utah Highway Patrol and the drug interdiction team to the southern border uh, where there's been a request for help there to deal with uh, the numbers of immigrants that are trying to cross the border. And it sounds like the National Guardsmen that will be going are primarily engineers, uh, so they'll be maintaining equipment and whatnot. So uh, th- this has been something as we've seen the crisis ramp up and increase, uh, there has been a huge need. And I think for the first time, really the first time in, in memory, where you've got states that are not border states that are rising to the occasion to play a role. 
We will continue to follow this developing story with our team of reporters and producers back in the newsroom. Dave and I broadcasting live, as Tim and Amanda did uh, all morning long at ARUP Blood Services. We're live in Sandy right now, and we're with Mike um, talking about the need for blood donations. ARUP is open seven days a week. You make it so convenient, and you're enticing blood donors as well uh, with some gift cards and some Taylor Swift tickets. Yep. You come in and donate anytime between now and September, which means the more times you come in and donate between now and September, you get entered into a drawing for two tickets to the Taylor Swift concert in New Orleans in October. One of the things that that blood uh, transfusions, or let's talk about blood transfusions and the need, uh, those are happening every day here in Utah. Every day. And it requires a, an enormous amount of blood. Right, it does. I mean, we'll get emails first thing in the morning. It's like, oh, we have a liver transplant going on today. We need more of this. We, you know, we get daily um, updates, and, and we're not always expecting things. Sometimes accidents happen, and an urgent call comes, and we just need that blood on the shelf. It's the blood that's on the shelf that makes the difference, honestly. Mike's with ARUP Blood Services. He's been with us this morning talking about the need for blood. Um, and the, the, the gift cards and the Taylor Swift tickets, does that help dry, driving up we blood sure donations? Hope it, we sure yeah. hope it does. You know, we really hope it does. I mean, you come in and donate, you get a $10 Amazon gift card just for donating blood. It's only about a half an hour of your, of your day. Uh, if you want to donate platelets, you get a $20 Amazon gift card. If you can do it on Sunday or Monday, you get a $20 Amazon gift card and a $20 Megaplex gift card. We hope that it helps bring people out, but hopefully they're coming out to donate just for the joy of yeah. saving lives. That's what it's all about. How long uh, – okay, you said it takes about 30 minutes to donate blood. How long does it take to donate platelets? A platelet donation can take anywhere between 80 minutes up to two hours. So I oh, would just okay. let people plan on two hours. And So um, – for people that are a little bit nervous, maybe haven't done this, uh, they're afraid of needles. Yeah. Uh, I've donated a million times, so it doesn't freak me out at all. But what, what do you say to help calm some of those fears? You know, the needle is only in your arm uh, for a whole blood donation, only five to eight minutes tops. It's not very oh, long. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Most of your time here is, is filling out the questionnaires. You get a little mini physical. And then there's about 10 minutes on the end of that that you just hang out in the little break area, eat some snacks, and... Make sure you're feeling good before we send you back. I do see a ginormous stack of, uh, of uh, is that Rice Krispie Thanks, Treats? Mike. Oh, we do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Thanks so much, Mike. Uh, they're open seven days a week here at ARUP Blood Services. And the, the, the more you give blood, uh, the more chances you have to win those uh, Taylor Swift tickets to her concert in October. Next, we're going to go back live on the Hill. There's some legislation regarding domestic violence that I think is very, very important that we need to hear about. It has to do with choking and strangulation. Um, it's a hard topic to talk about, but we've got to talk about what lawmakers are trying to do. Also, we just reached out to the governor's office to see if we could get somebody there to join us on this announcement that Utah will be sending National Guard troops and U UHP troopers, Utah Highway Patrol troopers as well, to the southern border. News Radio, Utah's news, traffic, and weather station. Hey, it's Debbie here. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast, but you can also hear the Dave and Dujanovic show live on KSL News Radio Monday through Friday starting at 9 or at kslnewsradio.com. Keyword podcast. So text that keyword to 57500 and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. And be sure to listen for a new keyword next week and every week this February for even more chances to win. 
today. KSL in your community. We will take a full deep dive into all of the activities going on here. Volunteers as well. Live from the ARUP Blood Drive. Here are Dave Noriega and Debbie Dejanovic on KSL News Radio. Eye on the Hill 2024. Special coverage with Dave and Dejanovic. We'll talk in just a few minutes more about the ARUP blood drive. We wanted to talk right now about what I feel is very important legislation on Utah's Capitol Hill regarding domestic violence. Uh, in particular, uh, there, first of all, hats off to lawmakers for doing a lot of hard work in this area. It's always so important to protect victims. And when we see loopholes in laws, it's, it's important to close those. And one, I would consider this to be a loophole regarding choking and strangulation. Um, if you've been victimized by somebody, and largely, let's face it, it's, it's women um, who have been choked in relationships, it can be uh, one of the scariest moments of your life as you're fighting for life and fighting to get uh, the hands off of your neck because you cannot live without air. Um, We can go without water for a few days. We can go without food for a month. You can go seconds or minutes, maybe if you're lucky, without air. Uh, So we're going to talk to Lois Collins of the Desert News, who's been doing some fabulous work tracking legislation in this regard, Dave. Yeah, and I guess I didn't fully understand or realize uh, how, how common this is. Mm-hmm. And and this is one of the things that we've really focused on as a state over the last couple of years is let's be very clear when there's some sort of a threat assessment. Uh, what exactly is going on? Have you ever been choked is one of those key questions because it is an, in, an incredibly, uh, it's an incredible indicator of future Uh, escalated violence. Lois Collins of the Desert News live with us right now. Lois, thank you so much for your work in this area and all of the work that the Desert News is doing to track legislation. Let's talk about that strangulation legislation to start with. Where are we at now in state law and where do lawmakers uh, want us to be once the legislative session wraps up? Hi there. Thanks for having me on. So right now, Utah law says that choking and strangulation to be considered domestic violence needs to impede breathing and be at least likely to lead to unconsciousness. And so the bill that's addressing that, Senate Bill 50, would take away that severity requirement. And the thinking behind it is that when you're being choked, you may not even know how much danger you're in. And part of it is because it happens so commonly in domestic violence cases. But they want to take it away so that if somebody puts their hands around your neck and they choke you, that is domestic violence. doesn't matter how severe it is. The only thing that, that sort of mitigates that is it has to be intentional. The word intentional is in the, in the proposed bill. And the reason for that is because opponents were saying, well, what if you've got two brothers that are joking around and one of them, you know, is goofing off and touches his brother's neck? Is that choking? No, that's that's not the domestic violence crime. Was there any kind of uh, detail as far as uh, does it have to be with your hands, can it be with an arm or is no, this just it's, large? It's, it's choking. But the thing about okay. choking 
Um, law enforcement, when I was talking to Erin Jemison, who's a policy person over at the Utah Domestic Violence Coalition, she was explaining to me that law enforcement sees that as they would rather deal with a case that involved a gun than with one that involved choking because it's so volatile, it's so physical, it's so in your face, it's so angry. You have to be so mad. And you're right, you can't, I mean, your arm's length, your your danger is it's imminent risk. And so the, the focus is just on the act itself is unpredictable, volatile, and you can hurt somebody. You can, you can think that you're not really choking them, but you can break that hyoid bone. You can do all sorts of things. The danger is immediate, and any example of it should be a crime. Uh, Lois Collins of the Desert News. Uh, the Desert News and Lois have been tracking very important legislation regarding domestic violence and tightening up loopholes, making uh, laws and, and criminal penalties tougher. Um, all things that are being considered on Capitol Hill, I think it's one of the most important things lawmakers can do to protect families and protect victims of domestic violence, Lois. And I also want to note the psychological impact um, when when you're choked it is you know it, for women um i i say women because i think often it is men perpetrating on women they're stronger they're they're bigger and getting out of that moment can leave scars for a lifetime um, if you get out of it at all so i think the idea that women don't have to prove that they actually passed out um, or lost consciousness is very a very critical component of this legislation. That is the bill that is the most important right now among all of the domestic violence advocates that I've spoken with. So it's got to be incredibly common and incredibly scary. Is the discretion aspect, is it only the intentional wording there, or will police officers be able to to arrive on scene and make a determination? They can arrive on scene and make a determination to take somebody in. Um, obviously, they don't determine what happens at any trial, but they could, that, that is enough reason, if this passes, that is enough reason to separate the two people and take the perpetrator, the abuser, whoever it is, away. Um, the intentional part was... It, you don't have to prove intent. It's a loophole. It's something obviously was not intentional. I mean, if you've got two kids goofing off and there wasn't any violence, that's a different thing. And so that word was sort of put in there for that. To allow some of that discretion to be used. Well, we appreciate you taking the time, Lois. Uh, Lois Collins is with the Desert News, has been reporting on this and following it. Yeah, Lois, make sure you keep... Uh, Send me a text uh, when you uh, can, you know, as you see that piece of legislation wind its way through Capitol Hill. Um, I'd love to have you back on um, once the session starts to wrap up here in the next couple of weeks to find out where all of these uh, pieces of domestic violence legislation ended up. Um, I, I do think this is has been in the past, not anymore, but one of the most overlooked aspects of domestic violence. Um, in terms of maybe a, a woman who's choked, a man who's choked, doesn't really equate it to domestic violence because they uh, didn't pass out. Um, but rest assured, it is, and lawmakers are trying to toughen up the penalties now. Well, and I, 
when we learned and we have spoken to law enforcement about this, they say, absolutely, this is uh, a higher indication of future danger. Not only is it dangerous in the moment, but the, the possibility of this escalating to something even more dangerous is very high for somebody that has been strangled or choked. You can read more about this at Deseret.com and also at KSLNewsRadio.com. Um, we'll put more information about this as well as the domestic violence hotline. You can call, you can ask questions, uh, and you can get help if you find yourself in a situation um, that you are a victim of domestic violence, uh, and you know that you are not alone. When you call this hotline, there will be help for you. Uh, next, let's talk about the the flip side, the good stuff that can come out of a marriage uh, and a relationship. The governor and the first lady are cast in a... How long is this video, Dave? Is it about the, a couple of minutes long? It's a couple of minutes, yeah. A couple yeah. minutes long. We're going to listen to some of this video about uh, marriage and how... Uh, they're, they're hosting uh, courses on how, or a course that couples can participate in uh, that'll carry them way past Valentine's Day. So let's listen to what the governor and the first lady are up to regarding holding marriages and making stronger marriages. It's a special edition of Dave and Dejanovic, live from the ARUP Blood Drive. This is KSL in your community. If you're married... Stay tuned because we've got a $15 date night for y'all involving the first lady and the governor and it happens tonight and 15 bucks is far cheaper than divorce where you have to give up half of everything. So it's going to be worth worth uh, its weight in gold. And we're going to talk about that just in a minute. Uh, but hey, here's something else uh, that you could do for free. You could uh, subscribe to our podcast for free, the Dave and Janovic podcast with KSL News Radio on your favorite podcast platform. And we've got a special contest exclusively going on right now for our podcast listeners, Dave. We call it Secret Contest. And that's right. You can't get it by listening to us every day from 9 to noon. You have to download the podcast and then listen for a keyword. I'm going to give you a keyword as soon as you hear that. Text it to 57500, and we're going to enter you into for a chance to win AirPod Pros. It goes on all month long. The February, of course, is the month of love. We love you. And, hey, if you win those AirPod Pros, what a great gift to give your sweetie. Speaking of sweethearts, uh, the first lady and the governor, uh, the Coxes, are uh, they're pitching um, a great way to come together as a couple tonight, starting at six o'clock. Now it'll cost you fifteen dollars. Uh, it's a, a virtual course on things that you need to know to help you hold your marriage together. Uh, should we listen to what the governor and the first lady had to say uh, during their pitch uh, for tonight's uh, special date night? Okay, let's listen to that first, Dave. Being married to Abby is the best thing that has ever happened to me. Being married makes us happy. In fact, a recent University of Chicago study shows that for both men and women, marriage is the most important differentiator of who is happy in America today. Learning about healthy relationships is so important. The Utah Marriage Commission is partnering with Utah State Extension to provide a statewide virtual date night. If you need an inexpensive way to learn about improving your relationship and have fun at the same time, please plan to attend. Okay, now my initial reaction to this is, uh, 
this is probably something I should be doing every single year. Because when I was dating, and I, you know, let's go back 25 years, right? When my wife and I were first dating, we were doing stuff. We would go dancing. We would, you know, it wasn't just dinner Dan- you in a movie. <laughs> I mean, I'm a terrible dancer. I, I can swing it. dance. I can swing oh, dance. Really? But I, yeah. Wow. I can't do any other dancing, but swing dancing I can do. But I was thinking of all the times we'd go on, uh, you know, trips and we'd go on hikes and all these things. And then uh, we get married and it's just a lot easier to justify staying home. It's a lot easier to get caught up with work or the kids and and not invest like you did when you were first dating and courting and trying to impress her. And I think, you know what, not only do I need this now, I probably need it every single year as a reminder. Okay, I want to go over some of the courses, the sessions that are going to be offered tonight in this uh, virtual date night for couples. Um, I think you should sign up. I think it's 15 bucks each. Um, so you, uh, we'll get you the website. We'll put all of this on kslnewsradio.com in just a few minutes so you guys can uh, sign up for it. But session one goes from 6 until 6.50 tonight. And uh, it says, what are you doing with your cereal bowl? Having patience <laughs> with and appreciation for our imperfect partner. I love oh, that. Oh, my goodness. I've Mine? You're leaving it on the counter no, with, this, no, no. with I, a little bit of milk in the bottom and the spoon. I know, and you also leave the toilet lit up. Oddly enough, in the Noriega household, and the spittle I, in the sink. For I am the dishes king. I love I, I'm it. the. My problem is dropping my clothes. Here's another part of the session. I'm a clothes one. dropper. This is important. Maintaining the fire. Ideas for keeping or reigniting sparks in your marriage. Yeah. It, it, oh, I love that. It's so important again to keep the to keep the spark alive, to keep the fire alive, because especially the longer you're married and kids get in the way, kids try to basically ruin every uh, ounce of romance, <laughs> either intentionally or unintentionally. Okay, we're talking about uh, this course tonight. It's a virtual course. It's an online course. It's 15 bucks. It looks like it's 15 bucks each, so $30 total. Okay, it's a great date night for couples. Um, and the governor and the first lady were pitching it. And we just listened to their uh, pitch why why marriage is so important. And he says that uh, being married to Abby is like the best thing that's like ever happened to him. Yeah. She's sitting She's right amazing. next to you. She's amazing. <laughs> um, here's a 7 to 7.50 uh, time slot you're going to hear. In session two, you're going to hear about, I love this, rest area next exit. Making time with only 24 hours. Oh, that's crucial. I love the title of that. It says it all because we're all we all get so busy in our daily lives uh, between kids, uh, especially kids, uh, especially work. Um, maybe there's other demands. Maybe we have in-laws and outlaws we have to care for <laughs> that are taking away from our time together. You're chuckling. I always love you know, how you refer to them as the outlaws. <laughs> well, that's what they are. Come on, part of being part of. Um, um, happiness in marriage is being honest uh, with ourselves and our our, our partners about True. absolutely everything. And when the in laws are acting as outlaws, we got to be able to have that conversation <laughs> within within our little private space and our safe space, our yeah, safe yeah. space, and know how to deal with it. So, um, and then here's another one at seven o'clock: fanning the flames or finding a match, understanding the science of sexual desire and how to increase it. That's critical. I mean, that could be in large part why couples fight is because we're not on equal uh, level play in the moment. We're not feeling the same way about each right. other. You're right. Uh, one's super tired all the time. 
Um, and the other one's expectations are super high of that one who's super tired all the time. So how do you get to the point where you're matching each other's chemistry um, more frequently? So hats off to this. I absolutely love this. Um, you can sign up for it. It's, it's, it's like I said in the beginning, it's a lot cheaper than divorce, friends. And also, um, you know, I think couples therapy is very important. This might be the catalyst that jumps you off into more frequent conversations with a, with a therapist. It's so funny the things that we invest in in life. We invest in our our health. We go to the gym or maybe we diet or uh, we invest in our job and our career. We invest in all these other things. And the question I have for myself is... Clothes, facials. Oh, yeah, for sure. Pedicures. Mm-hmm. Our cars. Hair. Hair. Right, yeah. I'm thinking of all you just prompted my thought process on all the things in couples invest in independently in their marriage. Um, that you know, maybe it's a ticket to the Super Bowl game because somebody was on their bucket list. Yeah. But are you investing in each other? One of the things, uh, one of the great pieces of advice my mom gave me when I was getting married, uh, and I passed on to my son who just got married this su- this summer was, uh, be your spouse's number one cheerleader. <gasps> If at 45 years old, all of a sudden they want to get into ballet, now you are all in on ballet. You want to take ballet classes? I'm all in. You're the number one cheerleader of your spouse. And I thought that resonated so well with me. It was such a profound well, and your piece wife of just advice. Was going back to school, yeah. And I remember you came in beaming one day. You're like so <laughs> proud of her, and you're so excited for her, and you. We just, do homework. I help her with her homework. Oh, my goodness. It's way better than helping the kids. She's way nicer. <laughs> I, I love everything about this course. It happens tonight. It's a few bucks. Um, if you're in a relationship, you're married, this is totally uh, for you. Stay in, order food in, and uh, do this course. Uh, it sounds wonderful. And I'd love to hear from you. You can get a hold of me over my my Facebook page, my KSL News Radio Facebook. Let me know how it goes if you are part of this class tonight, and then we can talk about it more next week. Um, and I really think that this course should give way to single people. There should be a course for single people looking for love and building relationships. Love it, Governor and First Lady. Thank you so much. Next up is, yeah, we need one for the single ladies. Today, KSL in your community. We will take a full deep dive into all of the activities going on here. Volunteers as well. Live from the ARUP Blood Drive, here are Dave Noriega and Debbie Dujanovic on KSL News Radio. We're going to tell you more about the Blood Drive out here in Sandy at ARUP in just a few moments. Uh, we want to talk live right now in just a few minutes to the anchor of the weekend edition of Morning in America for New Na- News Nation and Adoba about uh, President Biden's fury over the special counsel report that was released yesterday. That report revealed two things. Uh, it revealed that the president will most likely uh, not face criminal charges related to the classified documents uh, that he uh, was found in his home and at his think tank. 
Um, and it also revealed that the president is suffering from memory issues during um, a couple of uh, interviews that were conducted by the special counsel and investigators looking into this. But I think one of the, the most difficult parts of this report was when the, the report described how they think a jury would have reacted if they had prosecuted him. And they said uh, the jury would likely view President Biden as a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. One of the most difficult parts of this for President Biden was when the special counsel in that report cited he had a hard time remembering when his son Bo died. His son Bo died of brain cancer in 2015. Uh, Biden's team uh, scrambled together a late evening. I'll say it late because it was happening at 6, 6.30 our time, uh, 8.30 uh, back in Washington, D.C. for the White House, a news conference, and President Biden came out swinging against the report. I know there's some attention paid to some language in the report about my recollection of events. There's even reference that I don't remember when my son died. How in the hell dare he raise that? Frankly, when I was asked the question, I thought to myself, it wasn't any of their damn business. Anna Doba joins us right now as the anchor of the weekend edition of Morning in America with News Nation. Anna, uh, the the president got a little spicy with some of these questions. He certainly did. Hi, guys. I don't know if you watched that press conference. He was fiery. He was defensive. You laid this out really, really well. If we think about yesterday, legally, this was great for the president, right? The special counsel report found they will not charge Mr. Biden with a crime. That's what he wanted. That's what his administration wanted. Politically, the president's depiction in that report is not going to help him. Many Republicans, as you can imagine, already pouncing on quotes from the report, calling the president a well-being elderly man, as you mentioned, saying he couldn't remember when his son died and other important dates. The president did hold a press conference last night after the report was released. He was uh, was not happy with reporters and some of the questions that came his way. He was defiant. He said his memory's just fine. Quote, I put this country back on its feet. I know what the hell I'm doing. I don't need his recommendation. Of course, he was referring to special counsel Robert Herr, which is a, who is a Republican who was appointed by a bipartisan administration to or bipartisan office to make sure he conducts this. With that said, as he's trying to explain to the general public and the reporters that his memory's just fine, we do have to mention a faux pas that he made. He did misspeak during that press conference, referring to the Egyptian president as the president of Mexico. Earlier this week, he said he met with a German chancellor who died in 2017 instead of Angela Merkel. So he has misspoken a few times. With that said, former President Trump has misspoken, too. He's uh, confused Nikki Haley with Nancy Pelosi. So both have made these, you know, speaking mistakes. But the issue of the president's age is a criticism that is not going to go away anytime soon. In fact, it's probably only going to get worse after this 300-page report came out yesterday. And we can even expect some ads, some GOP ads, picking these sound bites from this press conference 
going after the president. And another thing I want to mention, a lot of Democrats are asking if this report went too far. Was it necessary to say, hey, President Biden's memory is not that good or, hey, he's, you know, he means well, he's an elderly man. Was that really necessary? And that's what a lot of Democrats are also wondering today. I felt as though the special counsel was trying to lay out a reason, a reasoning as to why he was not going to charge uh, President Biden uh, with a crime or not going to recommend charges when he was citing um, the information about his um, memory and uh, issues that he'd had during the interview. And then he couldn't even recall his son's death date within several years. Um, And then he'd also, the special counsel also pointed out, Anna, that uh, it wasn't just during those interviews that he had troubles. It sounded like it was also interviews that he had done with his ghostwriter, um, that he was, you know, having a foggy memory um, about, uh, you know, the timeline of his life. So I do think that over the weekend, I know News Nation will be tracking this, there will be a lot of fodder for Republicans on the national uh, talk show circuit this weekend uh, about this report. What are your thoughts? Oh, I think it's already started. For us, we're going to have Governor Huckabee on, former Governor Huckabee. We're going to have former Governor Tim Patali on. So we have a lot of people coming on. And we also have a cognitive doctor who's going to speak about men in their 80s, what's expected, what's not. And I'm glad you mentioned his ghostwriter because uh, that issue stems from 2017. So a lot of people, especially critics of President Biden, are saying these problems were there years ago, but now the public is just getting a better, more comprehensive understanding about it. I do want to say the White House mentioned afterwards when they were trying to you know, make, make the narrative go another way, that when these interviews happened with special counsel Robert Hur, it was right after the Israel-Hamas war started. It was in October, so the White House is also saying, listen, the timing was also off. The president was very busy dealing with international affairs. So they are also citing the timing of this interview from the special counsel. And Adoba, thank you for joining us with News Nation. We look forward I look forward to the weekend edition, Anna. Thank you so much. Appreciate you uh, jumping on the air with us with your analysis uh, of that special counsel report. Straight ahead. Okay, we've got some fun things uh, going on. There's uh, gift cards that ARUP Blood Services is giving away for donation. There's also Taylor Swift tickets that they've got up their sleeve to give away. And Dave and I are giving away AirPod Pro. So stay tuned for all of that and more next. It's a special edition of Dave and DeGenovic, live from the ARUP Blood Drive. This is KSL in your community. Wrapping up our live coverage out here at 9786 South and 5th West, uh, we'll talk to ARUP and all the fun things they're doing uh, to give away uh, special prizes and entice you to give blood uh, in the month of February and beyond in just a moment. And then we're going to talk to the movie guys, too, in just a second. Uh, But first, Dave and I want to talk about what we're giving away because we love you all so much. We are doing a secret podcast contest. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to subscribe to our podcast, The Dave and Dijanovic Show, on your favorite podcast platform. Or you can go to kslpodcast.com and then you're going to listen for Dave's voice. Yeah, I've got a key word for you. So make sure you listen uh, to the podcast. You'll hear Dave say, I'm now referring to myself in the third person. That's amazing. (laughs) 
I'm Carl Blown here. Don't worry about me. Uh, yeah, but I'll give you the keyword. Then you text the keyword to 57500, and you get entered in to win a pair of AirPod Pros. Not the cheap ones that you buy your kids, the nice ones, because mom and dad deserve something nice as well. We're, this contest is going on the whole month of February, so make sure you get on board with our secret contest, and we hope you win uh, those AirPod Pros. Speaking of giveaways, uh, people need to start giving blood, Mike. Uh, ARUP is the place to go. You guys are giving away special prizes and, uh, you know, thank yous to folks who give blood. Yep, just to incentivize people for coming in. Uh, we're doing a, a double the love this month, so we were giving away, uh, you know, $5 and $10 Amazon gift cards last month. We're doubling that. So this month, everybody that comes to donate, you get a $10 Amazon gift card if you donate whole blood. If you have some time and are able to do platelets, you get a $20 Amazon gift card. Saturday and Sunday, the days we struggle with the most, we're also, for our platelet donors, going to throw in a $20 Megaplex gift card. And as you touched on several times, everybody who comes to donate, you're entered into a drawing for Taylor Swift tickets in October. The Taylor Swift ticket is going to be, as you said, in October 2024 in New Orleans. Two tickets to the hottest concert in the world. And uh, so is it every time I come, I get entered again? Right, right. Every time you donate between now and September, that's when we'll be doing the drawing. So Your, your motto is give a local, stay, uh, give save local, local, save local. Yep. Save local. Yeah. Which means what? Well, everything that we collect stays here in our own local community. We uh, are the sole providers of blood for University of Utah hospitals and clinics, as well as Huntsman Cancer Hospital. So everything is staying here in Salt Lake. And uh, you have two locations, seven days a week. Let's remind our listeners where they can show up. Yep, we have two locations, uh, 565 Comus Drive up by the U of U and 9786 South 500 West in Sandy. If you haven't been in in a long time, things have changed. You may be eligible if you weren't before. Give us a call and and, uh, and find out. One of the things I saw is you can sit down, get your blood taken, and there's a ginormous television right in front of you. Like everyone's got their own personal TV. I, now we're talking, how do I get one of these in my house? That's a good little setup. Yeah. Well, this is, So this is a, for our play the donors. Yeah, we have Netflix. We have Hulu. We have free Wi-Fi. Love it. Come binge watch your Netflix shows. Eat some Doritos. That's what I do. <laughs> and uh, and donate some playlists. Save some lives. Well, awesome. Mike, thank you. Thanks for hosting us here at ARUP. Thanks for coming. Uh, again, we would love to see you today. But, uh, you know, really, you know the weather. It's, it's kind of hit and miss a little bit today. But make sure all month long. It's a really great time to focus on donating some blood. You're saving somebody's life. I appreciate the Taylor Swift ticket giveaway and also uh, enticing people to get here by giving a boy some gift cards. Thanks so much, Mike, and thank you so much to ARUP Blood Services. Want to check in right now with Andy and Steve, our movie show guys. The movie show starts in just a few minutes. Uh, We were talking earlier, you guys. I don't know if you heard the segment about the special marriage uh, forum, date night that's being hosted tonight uh, through State of Utah and others uh, where people can go on virtually and sign up for um, like sessions on how to keep their love alive and their sparks in their marriage, which I think is fabulous. But let's talk about uh, movies uh, as a date night. Do you guys get the feeling that uh, movies are kind of the go-to for dates still? Uh, because they sure were when I was dating in the 80s and 90s. I don't know what the landscape is like now. Not first date. 
Oh, well, no, that why depends. not? See, that I think that depends on the person. The guys are more willing they to don't do talk. a movie for the first date. <laughs> the girls are more likely to say, why are we going to a movie on our first date? I think. Well, Dad, they're always going to question up. wherever you're going, so there's that. Well, that's true. No, I, 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 it's an interesting question, Deb, because uh, there's a two parts to this, I think. First is... There's not very many rom-coms that are going to theaters. So now if you're going to take somebody mm-hmm. to a movie, it's like, do you want to go see the latest Marvel movie as a date? Do you want to go see a horror movie as or a date? Or you could go to Inheritance to Love. <laughs> okay. We'll talk about that one the- uh, when we get into the movie show. But oh. but I just I got thinking, it's a generational thing. And, and, you know, I have teenage daughters right now. I got teenage sons. They don't think in the same terms. Like, they're more likely to get a bunch of people together and stream something in front of the TV with everybody. Uh, and everybody's on their phone for half of the movie. And you, So I don't know if it's going to become a thing of the past. I, I don't think it's a thing of the past yet. But I wonder if within the next 10 or 15 years that will – I mean, it was a standard thing when I was yeah. in high school. Yeah, oh, it was, it was, it was, it was a, automatic. Well, Steve, that, you that's remember how you... back then. I mean, we're, we're kind of in the, the generation of the 80s and 90s, you know, back then. It was like you just automatically went to a movie together for a first or at least a second date. Well, I made the mistake of taking a young woman to see The Godfather. And... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Steve. Um, Steve, I can one-up you. I got taken to see Pulp Fiction. well no it wasn't the fact that it was like oh no she's going to be offended she was asking me questions through the whole darn movie and and i had that as we learned in barbie that is a cardinal Uh. so you ask the questions after the movie and then that proves to the guy that uh, you know you're why did they kill apollonia i liked her like oh i don't know i wonder too if people feel especially the young kids these days if um just with the price of popcorn and the price of soda, and you're not at a point yet where you're sharing the soda. Um, so, <laughs> is, right? Right? Isn't that what happens with you and your wife, Dave? You share the soda? No. I don't want to admit to this. <laughs> no, that's why you get the mega mugs. <laughs> you each have your own for a cheaper price. We, but we we've done share that, actually. When our kids went out soda. to. When we send our kids off to a movie with their friends, we'll let them take several mega mugs so that they can try to save on the cost that way or the mega tub, you know, like oh, a, yeah, yeah. a way to try to get them to save some money so that they'll go. Well, it's still a good deal to go to a theater and, unless you go to a really nice restaurant and then you're spending a whole lot of money. So I think the theater's experience is going to be around for a while. I do agree with that. I just I hope that the kids will make it a thing like it was. And I that's what I worry about. I just here's, I don't here, know. Here's here's a, a hot tip. For our friends, for our friend Jeff Whipple at uh, Makeplex, um, they need to do singles date nights and host them at the movie theater. With rom coms? Yeah, with rom coms. That's a great idea. There's not I'm a lot single. of rom coms. I would totally right go. Now. I would totally go. Well, the, the one that's coming out this week, the rom com Lisa Frankenstein. Yeesh. Yeah, that's definitely not a first, second, or third date movie. <laughs> oh, no, you guys are going to review that, though, so we'll know yes. more about that. We'll save that. But I do need to ask you, Deb, because yeah. they somebody did a study about Utah's favorite rom-com. And before we tell you what it is, I want to know what your favorite rom-com is, Deb, and yours, Oh, my Dave. God. Give me a few. Uh, Steve, oh. give me a few. The Notebook. Okay. It's easy. What no, are we talking no, about? No, no. <laughs> the no. Keep going. The, the Notebook is That's Dave's favorite? Or by far. Here, let me tell you this. Okay, when that's a romantic movie, but is, is the notebook a rom com? No, it's not com. It's what? okay. Hitch. There we go. No, oh, that's Hitch. Like, what's the one okay. with um, Sandra Bullock? There's 37 <laughs> rom coms with Sandra Bullock. <laughs> Just the one. While you're sleeping. <laughs> the there you go. Oh, 
While you were sleeping is one. There's the proposal with Ryan Reynolds. I love this one. That's my favorite. The proposal. The I'm gonna I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna stream. I'm gonna find it on stream. I love that one. I love her. All right, I that's love a good. Him. Well, do you I know what Utah's favorite that. was? What, what is it? The Princess Bride. Oh, stop it. Boo. You don't believe Absolutely. that? Absolutely. One hundred percent. That was an oversight. My bad. Y'all have a that's... good weekend, but stay tuned next for the movie show. Hey, it's Debbie here. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. But you can also hear the Dave and Dujanovic show live on KSL News Radio Monday through Friday, starting at nine, or at kslnewsradio.com. Keyword podcast. So text that keyword to five seven five zero zero, and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. And be sure to listen for a new keyword next week and every week this February for even more chances to win.